It is unknown when ale was introduced to Middle-earth, but very likely was during the time the elves first woke. <laughs> that is according oh. to the Lord of the Rings wiki page. As soon as the humanoids were alive, they were like, <laughs> we need ale. <laughs> when they first woke, like immediately that was their first thought. We need to get fucked up. Welcome to Hobbit Hoopla. Hoopla! Hoopla! The unofficial podcast of Second Breakfast. We're finally back in Middle-earth for another brand new episode of the Hobbit Hoopla podcast as we talk about The Hobbit, an unexpected journey. I'm here as always with my friends to to talk about the wonderful world of Middle-earth, all of its beautiful things, and joining me in this conversation is the lore master of the Hobbit Hoopla podcast, Andy Smith. Andy Smith here, a connoisseur of many nerdy things, Star Wars, Marvel, DC. And let's get back into J.R. Tolkien's world. Hobbit Hoopla is back. We are finally back. Alongside us, we have the fantasy expert, Chris Pio. Fantasy expert, Chris Pio here. Thanks for joining us on this Hobbit Hoopla foray. We're going through these Hobbit movies, very excited to do so. We've got the Rings of Power in our catalog now, so we'll take a look. If anything has changed, very excited to talk this through. Thanks for having us, Jamie. And rounding out the Hoopla Croopla for this week, we have a weird little secluded wizard joining us, Jake Laxer, the Brown. What's happening to little (laughs) hedgehog Samuel, or whatever his name is? (laughs) Samuel, the porcupine. Was it Christopher? I don't. I don't know. Either way, I think it is Samuel. Samuel. It's a. It's an unfortunate hedgehog. Either yeah, way, you feel, I'm glad you you're feel here, bad Mr. For the Wizard Hedgehog. Uh, yeah. How are we doing, folks? Jake the Laxer here, lover of all things TV and movies. Glad to be back, hooplin and hobbitin. Uh, that's that's words we're all making up, and we're all understanding it, so it's fine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's, exactly. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's good to be back doing the Hobbit Hoopla thing, and uh, we're just going to be rolling through some films here over the next few weeks. Uh, and honestly, I just wish Rings of Power was still going on, because we were really enjoying that. But uh, yeah, we'll take what we can get and press on. It's true. Rings of Power was incredible. So coming off the tails of that prequel show, we're going to be diving through the Hobbit trilogy, followed by the Lord of the Rings trilogy, to round out the Hobbit Hoopla podcast with all of the Middle Earth content that we have out there right now. Um, I don't think I said what my name was. So for all of you who are listening, curious about this guy's voice, it's me, <laughs> Jamie Clare. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Space Wizard now. Oh, the classic Hoopla yes. fans know that uh, I recently changed my Twitter handle. So if you're looking for me on Twitter, Dr. Underscore Space Wizard. Nobody was. <laughs> You know, that's true. <laughs> you know, I'm going to create an account and look for you. That sounds amazing. Well, you should create an account so that you can find our other important Twitter accounts. Chris, can you tell them where to find us? Indeed. If you're on Twitter, Instagram, or other socials, you're going to look for at Hoopla Podcasts across platforms. That's going to lead you to all of our other content, such as the Hero Hoopla Podcast, as well as the Holocron Hoopla Podcast. If you're into those other fandoms, please stick with us. We're excited for 2023, some new content, but we're revisiting our Hobbit Hoopla, where we started, where it all began, and we are excited to do that today. You can find that at Hobbit Hoopla Podcast, as well as on Twitter and Instagram. We're returning to where it all began, the Shire. Isn't that right, Christopher? Yes. 
<laughs> so with that, let's dive right back in. How did it feel to be back on Middle Earth? A few thousand years after we just left it from the Rings of Power finale, back to Middle Earth, we show up at the Shire with Bilbo hanging out at his little hobbit hole as good old Gandalf shows up. Let's just get some first impressions of transitioning from the Rings of Power TV show to the Hobbit movie back in this world. Chris, what do you have to say? Jamie, I'm sorry to interject so early, and truthfully, it's something we have to discuss because it doesn't necessarily start with Gandalf showing up. Oh, true. This starts with The Hobbit, if you know what I'm saying. Any book readers out there will understand that we begin with this as a story. And let's talk about the directorial choice first, because I think to start it off, having Frodo as this kind of Oh, Elijah Wood's back to kind of segue us into this Lord of the Rings universe. Uh, the, the, the Hobbit trilogy came out, what, 10, 11, 12 years after the original tr- trilogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, as much as we remember that trilogy fondly, it, it's going to take us a little while to get back into this world. So let's start with that first scene. I actually like what they did there. I, I like the writing of the book from Bilbo. I like the, how he's starting and, and telling this story as we're reading it, as we're viewing it, as an audience that's going to the movies. So I like that scene. What do you guys think? Should they have just gone into the story with Martin Freeman? I mean, should, should they have done the Frodo, kept the Frodo? What do you think? Well, there's no title crawl, right? There's no crawl to explain sort of what's going on. So at least we have some degree of format to enable us to dive right back into the world, but in a different time. So, you know, bring back someone who we absolutely love. Put Elijah Wood on the screen. Make me get all nostalgic about the original films. I'm all in. Let's... Okay, you know, and that's well done, exactly what I was gonna well done, point Jackson. to, Jake. The the musical cues, the 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 visual cues of that opening scene of kind of that exposition dump, which we're used to, right? And in, in mm. Fellowship of the Ring, you have Galadriel talk about the previous war. Here instead they use Ian Holm, and I do wanna just say rest in peace, Ian Holm. Lost mm-hmm. a great one there. Right, uh, but he was great in this just very quick opening scene and got us back into Middle Earth. Now, you could say, you know, from that point, then it really dives into, obviously, The Hobbit, and some people may like that, some people may not, it's a little bit different. But here, this did feel a part of, you know, just an easy extension over The Lord of the Rings. Get the audience back after 10 years. Yeah, I think it was great. A perfect way to get the audience back, as you were saying, and to set the scene to let us know that these are characters that we know, but we're seeing them a little bit in the past what led up to where we get in the Lord of the Rings. Right. And yeah, thanks obviously for bringing we, that up, Chris, because I, I do think it was a great way for them to start the movie. You're right. And, and obviously we can't stop and talk about every scene in this three-hour film. <laughs> Even though... Probably could have been two <laughs> films instead of a trilogy, but we'll talk probably about that been, later. Probably uh, could have been one film. We can't stop and talk about every scene. There are some we absolutely must, and, and we'll do that somewhat throughout this format here of, of kind of our freeform hoopla. But that scene, I think it was important. I, I do think it kind of sets the tone. Uh, again, bringing back those characters, uh, the storybook element, which again, we're mm-hmm. jumping into The Hobbit as a viewer, which I think is great. And yeah. I think just seeing Bag End, seeing The Shire for the first time in, in a decade, which was a great choice to prime us for the film. Mm-hmm. Chris, I know we don't want to jump into just small little details, but right, this one thing I wanted to point out, wasn't it kind of interesting to see you have Ian Holm open up the book and then there's the picture of Martin Freeman and like, then you're like, oh, so that that connection point, this stylistic like choice there to connect right. those two versions of the character, you don't always see that. Like, how do you recast a character? Well, this is how you recast it. 
Right. You like yeah. see him viewing an old picture of himself and then you right. dive right in. It's just like a portrait he got in Rivendell back like 50 years ago, 60 years ago. He's just yeah, 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 yeah. paid for like a caricature, you know. <laughs> you get that little timeline play. and We see that in Rings of Power, just one parallel out of many that we'll, we'll make here over the course of, of our recording. But yeah, the, you, you can play with the timeline a little bit. I know it's, you know, 60 years is between that point and, and where The Hobbit actually begins. So I, I think it's a great point, Andrew. You tie those characters together and, and I think you just set the mood right off the bat. So speaking of characters, we have a few characters that we have known from Lord of the Rings trilogy and from the Rings of Power, but we also get a whole bunch of new characters with all these uh, 5,000 dwarves that show up to Bilbo's house, (laughs) um, as well as other characters at the movie. Did anybody have a a favorite character from this movie? A favorite new character, let's say. Ooh. Ooh. I have mine, and it's easily Balin. Balin is my favorite dwarf <laughs> in the company. And not just because like he, you know, he's the old he's kind of the sage of the group. He's the wise one. He's the the emotionally like attached one as well. He loves his leader, Thorin. He loves the dwarves. But there's also the connection to Lord of the Rings, which is the most heartbreaking part of this. Because we're 60 years before. We end up seeing Gimli run up to Balin's tomb. And something I think about all the time during this this mm. opening movie is this this guy, we see him dead later on. And then to think that Gandalf is sitting at his tomb reading reading kind of the account of his death. Like just such a but the character himself in this movie is just full of joy and love for Bilbo as well. Um I, I think he's a great character and one that I like exploring even in the second and third movies. Yeah, he was definitely one of the dwarves that actually, like, I guess, stood out from the pack of dwarves because mm-hmm. there were so many of these dwarves in the company that they didn't necessarily do a great job of like giving each of them their own personality and they didn't really go into the characters of each of these dwarves, at least in this first movie. I don't think they needed to, yeah. and I appreciate that they've included them as a, a company. And again, we we talked about in the Rings of Power podcast how the Harfoots were were kind of more of a general character as a whole, as a community, and and we saw how they they run and they scavenge, and and that's not what the dwarves are. The dwarves are are fearless to a fault, and 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 certainly want to retake their homeland. But again. We don't explore too many of them individually. We we get Feely and Keeley, sure, that's kind of the, the twin relationship. Balin, obviously a great character, Andrew, kind of our narrator through the company. But I I, I, I revisited this after watching it 10 years ago, and I, I tried to consider them all as one character, one thematic character. And I think I enjoyed their company, pun intended, more that way. Uh, if I were to pick a favorite character, though, I gotta say... Thorin Oakenshield made a great second impression Ooh. on me. Uh, oh, second impression, by the way. I've only seen each of these Hobbit films one time. Really? Actually, I, same. I, I, we'll, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about why, and we'll obviously get to the second and third and later podcast recordings, but I've only seen these once, and I just don't remember Thorin Oakenshield as, as great as Richard Armitage is. I, I don't remember him being that great of a character. I, I think I'm going back on that. He, he's an excellent character. You really understand his struggles. You really understand his strife and, and his end goal. Which, obviously, again, we know it's a children's story. We know that from the books. It's only, what, 200 pages? Quick read, quick read. But Thorne Oakenshield really shines as a character in this first movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Tiny Aragorn, I call him. He was pretty great. 
<laughs> you know, with Thorin specifically, though, he <clears throat> his opening is great. Where you know we can talk about like the scene of them all throwing food around and having mm. a wonderful time, mm. and then when he walks in, he commands the room. Like Thor and yes. Oakenshield has a presence. He about does have him. a presence. It, it, and often, maybe you know, they do long, drawn-out shots of him kind of walking a lot or like looking places, which can be kind of odd in some circumstances. But his, him as a character, you just you can tell that yeah, this makes sense as the leader of of this company. Um, and it's even uh, even later on when Balin is talking about Thorin and his father and the him taking him through battle, you you almost start to respect him more and more. To get to the point in the third film where you know some other things spoilers. happen. Oh. Spoilers! Yeah. Uh oh. Whoa. Whoa. Uh, yeah. And I do like how they set up like you know this revenge mission that Thorin is on against Azog. The yes. defiler. The defiler. Mm-hmm. That is Azog correct. The defiler. Indeed. The, the albino. Yes. Which I mean, <laughs> can we we can get back to the character conversation, but we just gotta dive in here real quick and say. What the hell are they doing going away from the practical effects of the Lord of the Rings trilogy <laughs> and making yeah, this whole yeah. movie with just garbage CGI yeah. the whole time? Sorry to be too negative, but what no, the heck are okay. they doing? I, I want to Again, push back to inter- on that. Go ahead, Andrew. So, I know you'll lead this conversation <laughs> in the right direction. I, I, while there are certain characters that I think are, you know, very... Some are very poorly CGI'd, say like Azok the Defiler or the Eagles, as an example, that was, that was, mm. uh, but <laughs> I mean, you can't really do a practical eagle. Yeah, you can't, you could do impractical eagle. Well, you can do, pra- you can <laughs> Ooh, do practical, show. <laughs> you can do practical mechanical effects. So well, all I have to say is the landscapes, the environment is beautiful. Like if you look at Rivendell, that is a, a majestic, like oh, it's as majestic gosh. as it's ever been, right? If you, when the opening of the movie, I immediately wrote down, wow, the, 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 the landscapes are incredible. I can't even believe this. But what is the, my issue is when you see the trolls interacting with said landscape, it doesn't fit and it looks almost out of place in a different movie. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of pulling in George Lucas, pulling in all these like uh, the CGI for the, the prequel trilogy. And that's why in Rings of Power, right, we're going back to the practical effects. But there's some beautiful parts of this movie. And at the time, it was revolutionary. Peter Jackson did, I I think, 48 frames per second. Uh, They upped the frame rate of of this movie, which is the most in history. Now, it also looks a little wonky. And, you know, some people say you should take it down to 24 frames per second. But the standard, the cinema standard. It's still revolutionary. And we got to give that to him. It's similar to James Cameron. I feel sick. Too many frames. (laughs) That's what they say. I don't know. I I will know my eyes. people out there. With motion sicknesses and, and things of that nature, so I shouldn't say that. It did affect people. A lot of people did complain about I mean, that. I, but I mean, I almost vomited yeah. once during The Hobbit trilogy, sure. Really? <laughs> that was more of a plot thing. Yeah, it wasn't so much of the camera angle. That wasn't so much of the camera angle. It was really the story. Okay, though. but I will, Jamie, I will give it to you. Is it the that Goblin is King? one of my uh, gripes of the, full, the trilogy, is the overuse of CGI. But it's not all disgusting. 
Speaking of disgusting, elaborate. can we talk about that ball sack of a chin on the Goblin King? <laughs> <laughs> the Goblin King is so gross. Yeah, that is the one gross. thing that, like, you he's know, to make him look the way he does, you had to do some over-the-top CGI. So, yeah. you know, yeah. you can't really do, or they couldn't have done as good a job with a practical effect to get all those jiggles and jobbles he had going on. Man, oh, come on. If, if you can do Jabba, you can do the he, Goblin King in... I want to see him bumbling over. Like, he's practical. Yeah. Here is my elaboration on the CGI conversation. To me, it's like a cheese pizza. If you're hungry, you haven't eaten all day, and someone offers you a cheese pizza, you're going to say, yeah, I'll have a bite of that. I'll, I'll maybe even have a slice, maybe two. Where is it your favorite? You need to hold on, because I have I love Chris's stick. metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> if you if everyone here likes cheese pizza, right? Just you know, normal cheese, I'll admit maybe, it. Yeah. maybe a couple three cheese blends. That's fine. Uh-huh. Sure, whatever. I'm gonna eat a cheese pizza if I'm hungry. I like pizza, <laughs> but it's not my favorite flavor of pizza. I like I like a little green pepper on there. Maybe mm-hmm. a little pepperoni, some Love black it. olives. Maybe like a meat supreme. <laughs> Here's the thing: the CGI in the Hobbit trilogy is a cheese pizza. It's not bad CGI relative. To other CGIs, there are some. The Azog, I, I don't think looks great. Again, you mentioned the eagles, a little impractical. But I think for the time period and for what they were trying to do with this massive scale and maintain that massive scale, the CGI was pretty good. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not taking away. No one's walking out of the theater because of the CGI is so bad. Mm-hmm. No one's walking away from a cheese pizza. But the right. original trilogy, the army of the orcs, the, the battle-worn armor, the actual actors and extras, the practical effects mm-hmm. of the original trilogy are unmatched in mm-hmm. so far anything we've seen uh, in The Hobbit. And, and as we know, uh, the two other movies have these big battles, have these big effects, but a lot of it is computer-generated. So cheese pizza is not bad, but I like me a supreme pizza. I like toppings. And that's what Lord of the Rings, the original trilogy, offers us. When the Hobbit simply doesn't. Yeah. And so you right. basically just had a delicious Supreme pizza 10 years ago. And then you show up a decade later, technology's advanced, and someone just chucks a cheese domino slice in your face and says, yeah. here you go. Enjoy. Where right. does a calzone It's not the same the thing. Metaphor. I'm still going to eat it, but it's not yeah. the same thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was fine. It's, I think it's just going from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which was so beautiful yeah. in every aspect of it, to now the visuals being clearly lesser than what we had a decade before it's just a little disappointing what type of pizza would you describe the rings of power what? Ooh, good question jake oh, wow. yeah. great if, question uh, well cheese crust stuffed <laughs> yeah is this like <laughs> yeah is this like the new say? the new garlic crusted dominoes this is <laughs> we're gonna be rating these movies on a scale of Pizza to calzones. Wait, so what is the Lord of the Rings pizza? Did you say Supreme? Yeah, he said Supreme. If it's, I, if, I, if it's cheese to Supreme, then it would be like oh my God. cheese plus like some peppers, maybe some <laughs> sausage, maybe like a pepperoni or my, two, but not my the rings full of Supreme. The, my Rings of Power pizza is... A good pizza, a gourmet pizza, but it's a different base. Mm. It's not oh, a cheese and cause... sauce base. It's Ooh. maybe like a maybe like a pesto chicken bacon, oh like a pesto God. sauce base. A white pizza, a white <laughs> because pizza? it's because it's it's a different pun intended flavor 
of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Close the pod. So anyway, Close the podcast. we do it's over. eventually, we show up at uh, Rivendell in this movie. We do. Wait, Jay- Which was pretty yeah, exciting. Yeah, that was exciting. Jamie, though, I know. No, I'm Andrew, he gave I'm us a transition. I, I, it, was, we are- <laughs> it was a great transition, but I have a point to make about Lord If it's of a pizza point, I am going to be so <laughs> mad at you. I, I, I did want to just say, because I, I wrote this down really early on, and I, I'm recounting like initial thoughts after not seeing the movie for eight years. So it was just uh, immediately I, I wrote down, this does not feel lived in or realistic mm. and that is kind of to the point that you've been making with the cgi lord mm. of the rings the original trilogy it brought audiences to it and uh because it was almost something that was lived in and realistic like it's fantasy we get it like but there the realism isn't can, there in can this you film. walk in this world exactly yeah. mm. like and that's You're okay right. like this is high fan like the hobbit trilogy is much more high fantasy feeling than Lord of the Rings because Lord of the Rings felt like you were in New Zealand, right? This doesn't feel like you're in New Zealand because they're on the green screen with all these, you know, visual effects walking 10 yards rather than actually Gimli rolling down that hill. Honestly, uh, honestly, I felt it was pretty realistic when we saw the stone giants. I mean, that's that's practical effects, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I went there on vacation last year. It was dangerous to be sure, but it was fun. <laughs> I, I like that point, Andrew, because I, I think I saw it very first when we're looking at Bag End and we're looking mm. at the kitchen scene. As, as Mary and, again, here's your favorite word, Jake, whimsical as the dwarves are, uh, in their celebration of seeing each other again. And, and of course, they do the cool cleaning scene. The, the song and dance is all yeah. fine. But why was Bilbo's kitchen stocked for enough dwarf to come <laughs> in and just eat? That didn't feel lived in to me. And they made a big point about it because he stands there at the end of the scene and he's like, oh, they ate all my food. And he's looking at the empty pantry. And I'm just like, dude, you had three blocks of cheese. Of course the dwarves are going to come in and eat that. Like, what, what do you expect? I mean, you got a stock for the winter. Yeah. In the beginning, Bilbo gets the mail and there's like 12 letters in there. And I'm like, yeah, I understand that there's going to be a call to adventure soon. But where does 12 come from? How, don't you live within 20 feet of everyone you've ever known? So Chris is it, just it jealous because he doesn't get letters. I don't get any. Send me fan mail, guys. We should open Everybody, we'll box. give you Chris's address. It's 5278 Spring Street, North Dakota. Oh. It's that Belladonna Took just sends him like letters over and over every day. And you're like, God, it's she's like the one that she's made off out. with the spoons. Yeah. No, it, uh, it, it, it didn't feel realistic. And we get to Rivendell, which obviously is not realistic, but by God, is it beautiful. Oh, I was wonderful. just going to say shout out to my boy Bomber for like taking four wheels of cheese. He was like, do you want any slices? He, <laughs> he was like, yeah, he eats it by the wheel. <laughs> I like that guy. That's, that, that is my favorite dwarf. There you go. You're talking about Rivendell, when I think it's Oin throws a piece of food to Bomber. Because he knows that the the table cannot hold Bomber oh, yeah. any longer, it just it takes <laughs> yeah. the scales and it crashes down, and everyone. Laughs. It's like one sausage. Yeah. That was hilarious. <laughs> He's trying his best. There have been some times where I've eaten good, and one more sausage would have put me over the edge. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, man. So this movie, it was definitely it's the funniest Lord of the Rings that we've ever had. It's Without it's much oh, yeah. more comical and 
everything we've always we keep saying whimsical but this is sincerely a whimsical movie yeah true whimsy so we get to we get to rivendell and we get to see our friend elrond and galadriel who we've now gotten much more backstory from uh mm-hmm. from the rings of power which i guess you can argue canon versus not canon what is it the same who knows but did your viewing of this rivendell scene change after having watched the rings of power like I personally, there's the one dwarf I forget which one it is who looks almost identical to Durin uh, oh. from the Rings of Power. Like there's this mm. one of the dwarves in the Hobbit has like the red hair, the red beard, mm-hmm. and I saw him on screen with Elrond. I was like, oh, oh it's your yeah. buddy. You're yeah. gonna be friends with this guy, right? And then Elrond, you know, he wasn't as nice and friendly with the dwarves as I wanted him to be. <laughs> but does that speak yeah. to like what's going to unfold in the Rings of Power? You know, does that yeah. does that indicate, you know, something's going to happen between Elrond and Durin? You know, Maybe. well, you know, Thor, I, I thought about it. And, you know, when Elrond shows up on this horse and he gets off and and you see the animosity between Thorin to Elrond, but not re- received back like Elrond's very, you know, eloquent. He's very inviting. But Thorin, he's in Durin's line like he's. An, like his ancestor is Elrond's best friend. And right. that was a shocking moment to me. Mm. So like, and like before we saw rings of power, I thought of, you know, elves and dwarves, they don't like each other. That's what it is in fantasy. Like, right. that, that's just because they war because one's greedy under the mountain and then they love nature. But this was different. This was like familial hatred. And why we get there, I don't know, Jake. But something has to happen to Durin and Ring, Rings of Power that changes Elrond's perspective. Because that's that when we see Galadriel, when we see Elrond, they have different perspectives than we see them in their younger state. By the way, I just want to throw back to that being one of my theories in ROP. So I'm going to just shout out to myself there. <laughs> what theory? What was your theory so exactly? That, that something is going to happen. That is going That's to... That's it. That's the whole theory. <laughs> something is going to happen. Something is going to happen between Elrond and Durin that's going to cause... That's going to put Durin's uh, life at risk that will cause Elrond's change in their relationship. It was something to that degree. All right. I'll need you to go back and uh, rewatch that. Everybody, Everybody, say yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody go back, listen to the previous episodes of Hobbit Hoopla, figure out what Jake's talking about. <laughs> Tweet at us. Let us know what Jake's theory is. Yeah, and then in four years, when the next Rings of Power season comes out, we'll see if he's correct. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be really, really yeah. good. Uh, I I thought the animosity, as Andrew so eloquently put it, between the elf company that shows up and the dwarves when they do that circling thing, yeah. which by the way, cool. similarities to the Riders of Rohan, yeah, which yeah. I thought was kind of cool how they encircle the dwarves. It's a pretty cool battle tactic. I thought the animosity was not nearly as apparent as it was in The Lord of the Rings. I, I don't think that's an acting decision. I don't think, don't think it's a directorial decision. I think truly it's just this movie is lighthearted and, and funny. And again, mm-hmm. I keep hearkening back to it. It's a children's story. But I, I didn't think that there was so much racism between the two, even though we get that, of course, that one little scene where the elves show up at the very beginning when the dragon takes over and then they just 
bounce. Which, yeah, yeah obviously that was somewhat metaphorical. Uh, who knows if it actually went down that way in this fantasy world. But I, when we first encounter the Wood Elves in the Fellowship of the Ring, they're all like, oh, we could we could hear the dwarf breathing from across the river. Stinking, fouling dwarves. It seems like they have got so much more history of, of hatred than we do here in The Hobbit. And we obviously know that eventually they'll they'll team up in, in certain regards and help each other, but I just didn't feel that same hate. Again, it just felt more lighthearted. So when the company arrives, I think it's, it's, it's a good scene. There's nothing wrong with it. And I, I think the animosity I'm speaking to specifically is Thorin, because the remainder, they're obviously, they're like, they're getting encircled, right? So Oin, Gloin, right. Dvalin, Valin, they're all ready to fight because they think they're about to have to fight. But really, it's just... And Thorin, it goes back to his character a bit and how when you're watching uh, Richard Armitage, his eyes are so piercing. He like looks into the <laughs> soul of the person he's directing his like uh, his attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. you, you could just see like he doesn't lo- he doesn't trust the elves. And is it just because of his father and his father or is it go back to his father's 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 father? Right. Like. Yeah. Mm. Oh, and Gandalf has a great line somewhere in the film. I forget where, but he's like, I did not give you that map and key so you could hold on to the past. <laughs> and he can't let go of it. And it's, it's hard to, of course. Right. I mean, you mentioned this, this movie was one of the more comical ones, Jim, right? And I, in that, I got to bring up the three Hobbit trolls, Tom, Burton, Bill. You know, what an entertaining scene. <laughs> Is that, that we their get. names? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, Tom, Burton, Bill. Uh, technically, William, <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, wow. When one of the trolls sneezes <laughs> and grabs uh, grabs Bilbo and thinks that he sneezed out a hobbit. Okay, and then, uh, what's that he is, a, bur- a burglar hobbit. Yeah, a that burglar hobbit. Least, more, you burglar hobbit. That's my least favorite part of this movie. Whoa, oh, hot man. take. Hot take. Hot take. Man. I'm sorry. Let me just get it out of the way, and then you can jump into why you love it. I'll tell you. I don't like how comical this movie is. I know that The Hobbit is tonally supposed to be different, but it doesn't, I can't get there. And I've tried, yeah. I enjoy it for what it is, but the the dwarves and their joking, if you go back and watch the extended versions of Lord of the Rings, there's a lot of extra jokes that they took out of that movie by Gimli, by Merry and Pippin, because they had so much content they had to get through, so... You know, mm-hmm. they cut a lot of it. Here, it's all in there because they need the, you know, they made it pretty long. <laughs> <laughs> they need to extend this to three movies. And they got to stretch it out. Content so, for two hours of movie, and they got turned into 12 hours. Somehow. So they <laughs> lean into it. And, and that's kind of symbolized in the, I think, uh, the moment when either Tom Bird or Bill picks up the other one by his nose. <laughs> yes. Like two fingers up the nose. And then, yeah, you get the sneeze onto, like, uh, Bilbo. Not a fan, Ugh. but... Troll Tell mucus. us why you love it, Jake. Uh, I'll tell you why I love it. Uh, it's because this is just a comic relief scene. <laughs> we don't see that in the other films. <laughs> No. But you don't need yeah. comic relief know, when know, the entire film is relief of, of comedy. No, no, I, I, I was just saying <laughs> that's or, or I was just saying that circumstantially just to get it, Andy. But sure. uh no, I, I like the scene because it's it's the first <laughs> moment where we see Bilbo actually stepping up to the plate. But this is something also That's a great This point. is also something that I think tying off to what Andy's talking about, the film could have been or I guess the editors could have done a much more effective job at cutting scenes down. Like 
At the end of the movie, I really think the the uh what's the white or uh white orc what's pale his orc. name? Yeah, the pale orc. Azog. Azog, yeah. The, I think that whole last scene could have been cut out. I feel like it was unnecessary. They could have done some other redeeming save that Bilbo could have done in one other scene with uh the the goblin king. Could have been done, could have been taken care of. Um but you know, they just wanted to drag this movie out for as long as possible. And so if that was their objective, I mean, they did a great job. I mean, I, I mean, they went in with a plan. We need to have 12 deus ex machinas in this movie. Can we do it? And they How many times did. we magically save the company? But I do think that the troll scene specifically, it was a little bit deus ex machina to have Gandalf show up and, and shatter the stone so that the sunlight comes in. Yeah. But that was one of the only times, if not the only time, that we do actually get to see that that happens for a good reason. Like, we right, get to see character right. growth, right. character definition yeah. in that movie as Bilbo, like Jake was saying, steps up to the plate, yeah. uses a little bit of his cleverness to get them out of the situation right. as opposed to a lot of the other ones where it's just like, oh, we're, we're in trouble. Oops, Gandalf found a tunnel we can walk through. Mm -hmm. Ooh, we're in trouble. Oops, Gandalf called some eagles we can jump on. Ooh, yeah. we're in trouble. Gandalf showed up and right. killed the Goblin King. Right. Um, so this was, this was one of the you know, last-second saves that I think was actually well-deserved and it was well-written. Yeah, I, I just point. feel like, kind of like what you're saying there, Jim, this, this movie is just like a conglomerate of scenes to just explain character abilities. That's pretty much just what... What yeah, the Hobbit, an unexpected journey. Gandalf is. can break rocks, yeah, right? But, but isn't that every fantasy, you know, series? They just want to yeah. show off Legolas going down the uh, going down Helm's Deep on a shield, <laughs> right. you know, oh, yeah. or jumping on an elephant. You know? Well, I think that's what makes those scenes so special, or when he's sliding down the yeah. elephant, yeah, or when Gimli's counting 18, 19. The fact that we don't have one of those scenes every five minutes is what makes those scenes special. Right. And I think when they come so frequently and so often, it kind of, it doesn't leave a bad taste in your mouth because they're all, you know, funny and lighthearted. It just, it's hard to, you almost need like serious breaks mm -hmm. instead of comic breaks. It's kind of the opposite. <laughs> yeah. We do get some serious breaks. And, and I think before we leave Rivendell, if we have rings of power now in our catalog, we do have to talk about the council scene. Yeah. Which I was going to say, that was my favorite scene because of the being because a serious of, break. Because of the serious. Yeah. Because of the characters we love. Yeah. But, yeah. And, and because and, of Christopher Lee, Kate Yeah. Oh and you got to appreciate that after ROP season one. Got to appreciate that. I couldn't scene. agree more. If if I think I'm more excited to talk about any part of our recording today, it's it's this part. So let's do spend some time on the council. Uh, I, I'm gonna lead it off because I'm so excited to talk about it. What a cool scene ten years ago, but what an even cooler scene with Rings of Power. And I, I think if you take Rings of Power. At, at face value, without any prior prelude or, or any research, if, if any directors, writers, cast members never even looked at the Hobbit trilogy, I think they could look at the Lord of the Rings and still be good characters for what it is. But if you add the Hobbit trilogy in, you add this peacetime, as it were, you know, the calm before the storm, where in Lord of the Rings, the original trilogy, we get war right off the bat. Galadriel is explaining you know, the Rings of Power, explaining the War of the First Age, explaining that. And then the Fellowship, 
We have war all through three movies of the original trilogy. The Hobbit starts with a peacetime, and Elrond says that. We've lived in peace for 400 years. Why now do you think darkness shall rise again? No one believes him. Even Saruman, who's, who's not even evil yet. Actually, uh, do we know that Saruman's not uh, evil yet? I'm actually asking. I, yeah, I, don't, I, I, I do not believe he's evil he's yet. Not. He's, yeah, he's not. I think he's not evil. This still... is actually good Saruman. Yeah, yeah, he's a white wizard, and he's like, we're just hanging. We're just living in Middle Earth, bro. Chill out. We're on vacay right now. Like I, I, I think everyone just kind of wants to be like, chill out. This is a peacetime. Elrond doesn't want to risk elf lives like he did ages ago. The Istari are just chilling here. Gandalf's all in a flurry. He doesn't trust Radagast, which I, I think is a hilarious notion. That <laughs> Christopher Lee is just wonderful when he's just monologuing on how Radagast is a total yes, fool. Yes. But that council scene, and, and so then good. Galadriel being more magic than maybe is normally hinted at was a little strange to me. But beyond that, the, the voice in, her, in, in Gandalf's mm. head was a very cool touch back to the original trilogy. And I think it thematically fit in the sense that you do finally now have this call to action, this dark turn, this not so much climax, because again, there's three movies, but you have this point where, okay, peacetime is over. There has to be some sort of seriousness in this trilogy, and it starts right here. Yeah. Ten years ago, Chris, this scene to me was a cheese pizza. <laughs> Fast forward to today, <laughs> this, this scene... <laughs> <laughs> this scene is a supreme pizza. And let me tell you why. All of these characters are now transcending across all three uh, franchises of the Lord of Lord of the Rings fandom. Sure. Um, and being able to see, you know, Kate Blanchett, Christopher Lee, Surya McKellen, uh, you know, we're we're all getting everyone together, and uh, and Hugo, Hugo weaving, weaving, of course. Excuse me, Hugo sir. Weaving, God Elrond, bless. of course. We might have to cut <laughs> that, Clark. Well, Morphin <laughs> Clark. Um, but yeah, it's being able to see all these characters come together and uh, have a discussion in terms of, you know, peacetime is over. It's, it's again, the nostalgia. It's, it's there. It's ever present. Yeah, it is great. I, I really did like to see everybody. And, and now coming off the rings of power, like Chris, you were mentioning Galadriel being more magical than usual. But I think it's more of the rings of power Galadriel hasn't shown like in lord of the rings galadriel is the most powerful yeah, the, elf the dark queen in the right? world yeah and so that you know that. seeing her at this stage and looking back at rings of power just makes me even more excited to see morfith clark's version of galadriel grow and become stronger over the course of that series till she gets to this point where she is this majestic elven woman with the light shining on her whenever she's on screen. I, I agree. And, and just to clarify my point about magic, I, I, I think the way that Lord of the Rings explores magic in the sense that it's very, not limited, but very contained. It's not casting fireballs. It's not casting, uh, you know, some big explosion. It's not polymorphing things into animals. It, it, it's, it's small magic. It's, it's breaking rocks. It's creating sound explosions. It's creating light where there is darkness. So it's small magic. But then she just kind of teleports like... That's kind of an unexplained mm. ability, and it doesn't need to be explained, but that's that's all I meant by mm. magic, is she, she teleports while talking to Gandalf. Gandalf's turned away from her monologuing for, for five minutes, what feels like, and, and she just kind of teleports next to him. It's, it's not that the magic takes away from it, because it never does in Lord of the Rings. It's just that I felt like she was 
so much more ethereal than in Lord of the Rings. I know, again, she does the, you shall have a dark queen. I know she does that, but I felt like that was more a story point than actual display of ability. Right. They're definitely upping her power level in the Hobbit series versus what we've seen. I mean, we didn't really know how powerful she was in Lord of the Rings. And we don't. Right. So maybe that that fits. Um, And I've always wondered, are those powers really based on the ring that she has or like oh great question i think we have that will probably be answered in rings of power because we got to get to the point where you go from warrior princess to uh magic dark queen right (laughs) right Right. um (laughs) one thing about that one thing about that scene that i really really appreciated was you walk up with uh, Gandalf and Elrond uh, saying, oh, we have some visitors, and you see Galadriel. But when the camera pans over to Christopher Lee as Saruman, that, when I initially watched it, you know, 10 years ago, that was shocking. You're like, that's the bad guy. But the right. way that they visually display Saruman, obviously his dialogue is great because he's bashing on roasting Radagast roasting Gandalf (laughs) but also like just uh the the camera kind of zooms in on him and the the darkness undertones of the music uh kind of pick up Howard Shore we gotta you know give it to Howard Shore once again the Hobbit trilogy has wonderful music um Um, yeah but then also seeing every character's interaction with them they're all almost at least Gandalf I mean he's afraid of Saruman um, in a lot of ways. So I I just thought that was a great way to introduce someone we know is going to be a villain in the future, but isn't a villain now, but you can tell how he got there in this one scene. That's a really good point, Andrew. Yeah, he's not like the nicest, friendly wizard that Gandalf is. He's more intense. and Yeah, there's definitely a power conflict between the two, um, and that's definitely so evident in this scene. So incredible. Uh, And even... And uh, by Gandalf saying, uh, Saruman thinks we can keep darkness at bay with great power. And he says, you know, but that's not what I've found. You know, he, he's the, right. it shows the differences with the different wizards, which I can't wait to get into the next wizard, Radagast the Brown. Oh, man. Yes. What a transition. Yeah. What a wonderful introduction to Radagast <laughs> in this movie. I totally agree. Um, oh, he had one of my favorite lines of the whole movie when uh, he's he decides he's going to be the distraction to lead the orcs away yes. from the party. The and they're like, you'll never be able to escape. These are some sort of, I forget Ross, exactly Ross, what the words. Rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they say the wargs are too fast. And he's like, ah, you just wait. I got the fastest dang rabbits in the world. And then he just ah. takes off and starts <laughs> zipping around this beautiful Zip around landscape. with a rabbit sleigh. That's the most yeah. ridiculous thing. Yeah, but so I kind absurd. of appreciated it. Yeah. It's, it's very fitting thing. for the character. It's, it was very well done. Well, again, that's that lack of explanation for magic in the Tolkien universe. It's, it's, a sleigh bumping and grinding over these roots and trees and like how is there enough room for a sleigh to bob back and forth through the forest and it's magic it doesn't matter you don't have to explain it he's just he's a druid he's he's natural the 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 forest will bend to his will so yeah it's rabbits baby it's rabbits it's the (laughs) The rabbits. rabbits it's all 
it's all a bit fantastical, but again, and God, I don't think this will be the last time I say this, but it is a children's story. I mean, this is a clear Santa reference, right? I mean, it does a a a, is a reindeer Santa? drawn sleigh, but <laughs> what Santa were you raised with, my man? <laughs> Has mold on the side of his face. <laughs> Jesus yeah, he, he Christ, gets... Krampus! All I got was sick hedgehogs for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> he, he gets high from one smoke of Gandalf's pipe weed. <laughs> oh yeah, try some old Toby. Yeah, his eyes cross. His eyes go all crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I I do want to uh, fact check fact checker jake here yeah um it's sebastian was the porcupine uh, oh sebastian the porcupine. Oh. sebastian the porcupine uh, all right sebastian Hedgehog. unless he pulled it out did he yeah no sebastian he... lived yeah he, he survived he's, he's, he's i'm gonna double fact only check. after that dark crystals suck the magic out or the dark magic hedgehog attaboy sebastian <laughs> yeah 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 uh, I, I, I again we talk about how this is all whimsical, fantastical journey, and we really have an inverse of the comic relief where we have the serious relief. Uh, as great as Radagast is as a character, I, I don't think that the the darkness in this particular film was really... I can't find the right word. I don't know. I didn't like it. I didn't like, didn't like the necromancer that. And obviously, I know that the necromancer is the big bad. We're going to get right. a necromancer. And we all know who it is coming up eventually in the next two movies. And of course, the trilogy. But I, the, the spiders came mm. out of nowhere. They were kind of really creepy, in my opinion. Mm. The whole spider thing. Yeah, and, I thought and I was watching it just kind of Potter leads him back. It, it did. It felt, <laughs> it felt more like... Oh wow, spiders, giant spiders that are trying to break into your house. That's pretty right. evil. There's no subtlety to it. It's it's more of a direct darkness in the sense that all oh, the spiders are coming from this deep dark place. Better check it out. It just kind of fell on the nose whereas yes, as opposed rings, to all the subtle darkness of Mordor and Mount Doom. Okay, There's a subtlety to the beginning of, of the original trilogy where Gandalf thinks, well, there's nothing to this ring. Oh, wait. Bilbo says there's an inscription. Now there's darkness. Now there is peril. Gandalf, the, one of the greatest wizards we've ever seen, then has to go off and do research in a library. Like, that is subtlety. That is subtlety of power. That is subtlety of darkness. And in this one, the spiders are trying to get in and well, Chris, kill the Well, Chris, I do wizard. think it, it goes back to this being a more high fantasy series. That's true. In tone than what Lord of the Rings is. And it's separated from that. Um, but I, I did want to talk really quick about how, what did you guys think about how they introduced the Greenwood turning to Mirkwood and seen through the eyes of kind of this druid that lives there and, mm. uh, you know, loves the animals, saves Sebastian. <laughs> um, and how that may even relate over to Rings of Power, because Mirkwood or the Greenwood is really the area that that Nori and, and the, the aesthetics, the stranger are, yeah. are, are managing yeah. through. I think that's why a lot of people think they'll probably see the Brown Wizard in Rings of Power, maybe. Ooh, that there we go. Would, that's a theory I would love right to there see that I like. I would love I, to see some Radagast in, in Rings of Power. That'd be awesome. Radagast would be great in Rings of Power. Yep. Bring a little comic relief to that very uncomical tv show <laughs> that's yeah yeah um yeah i think that, that would be great it was cool to see the greenwood or hear about the greenwood being turned into the murkwood after we have seen nori and and all of her little harfoot friends hanging out in the greenwood um 
Speaking of which, one of the dwarves' name is Nori. Do we think Ooh. that they're related? What? Oh, theory yeah. music. Wow. That's a good <laughs> point. Well, there's also one named Dory, so I feel like Tolkien was just like, shit, I need 13 names. Uh, Ori, Nori, Dory, Bori, Gori, and Lori. There we <laughs> go. That's half. half. And Gloin. <laughs> and Gloin. I love their names. Their names are so wonderful. Oh, no, absolutely. Um that's a good that's that's a great point. I don't know if there's any relation there. Maybe not. Probably but. not. Here's what I hope. <laughs> I hope that Eleanor Brandyfoot becomes so famous in all of Middle Earth that even dwarves are naming their kin after oh. her. Yeah. That would be pretty sweet. They could play or with that. They could. It's just a coincidence because it's a name that sounds good. Mm. We'll never know. That's true. We will never know. We may know. So maybe uh, yeah. so, by twenty thirty five. So, Jamie, you know, once we actually leave Rivendell and we go, we finally get into the Misty Mountains, which I love the Misty Mountains because Far of that song. I knew you were going to sing that song. The Misty Mountains, mountains Cold. cold. Uh, that, another, and I don't want to be the, I, lo- I do like this movie. It's entertaining. It's fun. I love fantasy. I love Middle Earth. But the stone giants scene is just a little bit too high fantasy even for me. And that's not even in The Hobbit, right? There's a passing quote that says, you know, Bilbo wakes up and he sees a stone giant passing by or something like that. So what they they took that line and then create created a giant stone mountain brawl. Yeah. Or so stone yeah, what giant are even fighting? Why not? Because it's thundering. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. And of course, <laughs> the party gets split because they're going along the mountain passage. It just so happens that the giant wakes up at that exact moment. I, uh, it, yeah. I, I was just purely amazed that they like half the party was not crushed into the wall of the mountain. I know. <laughs> when the knee went. That was another thing. So that's a good point, Jake, because what I was thinking the whole time watching this movie was. They never put any stakes into any of these adventures. Like, right. They get into a little bit of trouble. Deus Ex Machina. Every single party member is totally fine. Yes. Rinse and repeat for the entire movie. Like you never thought for a second that anybody was even going to be slightly injured. Well, this no, whole this is a children's story. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, they are yeah, but it. Frodo gets stabbed by a death god an hour into the <laughs> is fellowship. Is that a children's that's, story? Well, that's not a children's story, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not a children's story. It's still a, a fantasy okay, so story. That's, that's a this is not yeah. your child's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> Not your father's Lord of the Rings was Rings of Power and not your kid's Lord of the Rings. And I think the reason I didn't like that stone giant scene is because I've related directly over to the scene where the fellowship is in the mountains. Saruman is calling the storm to overtake them as they're, you know, going the mountain pass and they have to turn around. Here it's more like we're walking along on this dangerous path and then... (laughs) There's two stone giants, and then they fall into the goblin hole. You know, it doesn't yeah, feel as yeah. lived in. It doesn't feel real in that way. Agreed. You've Not never lived on a stone like, giant. Before? Who in their right mind would take that mountain pass, knowing that stone giants are just casually hurling rocks at each other? 
I'm sorry. They're hurling mountains. <laughs> do, do you think other. there's a sign, like a warning sign that has like, a, like it's a yellow triangle, just a picture of a stone giant with a boulder? <laughs> this path is a quintuple black diamond. <laughs> Enter at, at In one's fact, risk. it's not even a path. This is just the body of a stone giant. <laughs> so I guess you can walk on a person if you want to. Sure. Yeah, well, go for it. Didn't one of the stone giants get their head punched oh, off? Yeah, oh, yeah. Or did, yeah, I, did yeah, I see yeah. that incorrectly? That was brutal. Yeah, I think, right. no, I think you're right. A full decapitation by mountain punch. You gotta love it. So one, That's what Hobbit's all about. One thing I was a little confused about, right? So we're, we progress into the scene where they're now in the cave. We see Sting turn blue, right? With the goblins. Mm. At the end of the film, when they're being chased by the orcs, Sting takes a very long time to turn blue. In terms of, like, goblin and orc proximity, I was very confused mm. on this directing decision. Why was it not bluer sooner at the end of the film? Yeah. Where's my consistency? Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the range I, is on it. <laughs> yeah, what's the range yeah, on what's Sting? What's the range on Sting? I don't know. What's, where's this? <laughs> Can we get the, the stat block on Sting? <laughs> there wasn't a lot of service to 24 out there. Hit she, damage. Sting was out of Wi-Fi range, so it was relying on 5G, and it just kind of took a minute. <laughs> it was lacking Bluetooth technology, yeah. <laughs> Blue Sting technology. Ooh. Sting came and went as, as was needed by the directors and the writers. I, I, I don't think too much needs to be read into Sting. But one cool moment with Sting, which brings us to the part that we absolutely have to talk about, is when uh, Bilbo met up with Gollum. Yes. And Gollum was killing the 100%. goblin. And yes. Sting was blue until the moment that the goblin got Gollum's killed. Life. And yes. then the sword went dull. And then we get the Very whole cool scene effect. with Gollum, which was awesome. That was, I think that was my favorite scene of the whole movie was Bilbo and Gollum. I, it was Andy Circus, man. I... Shout out to the shout out to the guy keeping all of our hoopla entities together. Andy Circus in every yeah, single one of our properties. Seriously, yeah. what a legend! Such he, a hero. He so. Oh no! I don't gotta play do contrarian this, here. No, every, I gotta play contrarian everyone here. Everyone loves this scene. If you don't like Boo. the Hobbit, you have to love this scene. Chris, I, what type of pizza I, was this scene? <laughs> This was a burnt pizza oh, that someone oh threw away. <laughs> no, no, no. no. It, it, it wasn't bad. I, I, I will say the scene could have been cut in half yeah. entirely. Yeah. I understand it's the riddle scene. And yes, this is an important part in Lord of the Rings history from beginning, middle to end. Doesn't matter. This is an important scene. Transition of the ring. First time we actually see it, of course. It could have been half the time. Mm. I didn't relate to... Bilbo in that setting. I, I, I was like, oh, okay, well, I, of course I know he's a prequel character. He has to be in the next two movies. I understand that. He's going to be in the original trilogy as well. I understand that part of it. It's just like, it's not that it wasn't stakes. It's just that it didn't feel like he was actually scared or in danger. I know he's witty. I know he's clever. And that's kind of his whole shtick. But like, Gollum just took out a goblin with a rock. And he's been obsessing over this ring for hundreds of years and yet this tiny little sword is just keeping Gollum at bay and riddles help him win I, I that didn't feel real to me it didn't feel like there was actually any danger for Bilbo and, and at the end of the day I feel like Gollum should have beat him regardless like to that point, I know he Chris, wasn't ever going to beat him but to that point Chris Gandalf does mention to Bilbo earlier in the film you know, hopefully you never have to use this, referring to Sting. 
And then we see True. a few scenes later, uh, we see Bilbo fighting with a goblin in the underworld, and the goblin itself is pretty proficient at using a one-handed sword, which Bilbo stands his ground. I mean, he's going up against a guy with a rock now. If I was Bilbo, I'd feel pretty good in this situation. That's you know? true. That's a good you know? point. He did just have his first battle, so he's pretty, <laughs> right. pretty hardened. <laughs> hardened like a stone giant at this point. <laughs> I, I completely disagree. I thought, well, I do agree with the point that may, it could have been cut. But honestly, if we, if, half. If we talk about cutting down scenes, we could probably talk about 70% of the story points i think we could talk about (laughs) two out of three movies (laughs) (laughs) but but in terms of the actual like the way the scene was designed and the dialogue that was written between bilbo and Gollum, and the way that the actors actually you know uh you know, acted or you know, provide, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> provided provided the dialogue. The like, it, I was like, wait, what, what word I was gonna say? What do actors do? Like, the way it, the actors did movies. <laughs> oh, delivered. I was gonna say delivered. That, uh, they, like, the way that they actually delivered those lines, it was spectacular, and it's because of you know, Andy Serkis is one of the all-time greats. Obviously, that's true. But him and Martin Freeman. They're both so good together, and it's a shame that we're not going to be able to get more of that. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. this really this one scene that they're together mm-hmm. in, but I could watch a whole movie of them just bantering. And I know Chris mm-hmm. would probably be like, no, cut the whole thing. But like, I, no, I, I, I thought that the, the, the way that the riddles were actually like designed and like the, the dialogue itself was compelling and uh, I just didn't know how he was going to get out of the situation in the end. Yeah. How was Bilbo going to get out? Right. Um, and I thought it was pretty yeah, effective. I think it, was, it was great. It was like the, it was probably the too. best dialogue of the whole movie. You know, maybe the, the council scene was a better conversation, but I mean, this was I agree with that. Bilbo and Gollum, but also Smeagol. So it was the three yeah, of them in this three, conversation three mm-hmm. in this little riddle battle. Cause you know, Smeagol was the one who was trying to have the riddle battle because he just wants to have a little fun goof around with some jokes <laughs> yeah, and, and cool. some mind puzzles. And Gollum was like, oh, let's kill this little hobbitses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I just oh, thought it was super fun, a yeah. fun little uh, interaction between those characters and uh, the worst riddle of all time to end the riddle battle. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that's maybe what leaves a sour taste in my mouth is the victory on technicality. Yeah. It, I <laughs> victory mean, on technicality. And then, uh, he gets Gollum gets asked a, a, a stupid riddle question. Then he's like, "Well, wait. If you could make up rules, give me three guesses. Why not get <laughs> ten guesses? Why would you limit yourself?" <laughs> I I don't know. I, I, I you you guys talked about the good points, and and you're not going to change my mind. I do think the scene dragged on. I, I I guess what I'm trying to say is like the dialogue, excellent. The writing, excellent. That all comes from from Tolkien, and obviously the chemistry between Martin Freeman. And Andy Serkis, who is an absolute legend in every respect, that did work for me. What I'm trying to say, I guess, I, I think the sum of the parts were actually greater than the scene in this particular instance, and that's rare to see because usually when you see something, you take the writing, you take the chemistry, you put it all together, and it makes a great scene in a film. For me, the scene dragged behind what was actually supposed to be happening, and and really, I just want to see more Serkis and Freeman talking to each other. I, the, the scene itself was 25 minutes of 
all right, well, it's riddles. Right. Um, this leads me to my point of this movie just being dragged out for a little too long. Mm-hmm. It, it just literally in every scene, I feel like they could have just chopped different pieces and portions out to just succinct everything and just make it just a better film, a better overall film. They could have done one less riddle in this scene, for example. I think it would have, it would have done <laughs> wonders. What do you think, Chris? Sure, they could have done three less riddles. I mean, Gollum has the game. Gollum has the game one, and then he gives away an answer. I, I, what? But if you had, why would you you say the word time if the word is time? If you had to pick one, spirit of not drawing things out, and in the spirit of time, (laughs) fair. Let's begin to bring this podcast to a close. Are there are there any final things that we haven't mentioned left? Time, yes. Yeah. So let's, Jake. What do you got? What What's the one thing that we haven't talked about yet that you really got? Do you, do you want to know something that rattles my barns? <laughs> yeah, that'll be a new segment for Does the podcast. Really, <laughs> all right. Does it really grind your? Gears? It really grinds my gears. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Thorin Oakenshield in his flashback against <laughs> against uh, Azog, right? Goes and has a a nice timber shield. Probably oak. Why would you say timber? <laughs> why, why in the world would you not call it the oak shield? He had this, he had this blocker majig, probably no. made out of some flavor of wood. I don't know what the material was. I think it was like, I don't know, a metal maybe? It was like a sinew thing? Okay. So he gets this. It breaks. No, it's oak. It, he gets this. What it's a coincidence oak. that his name is Oakenshield and he used an oaken shield. That's some... <laughs> That's See, some that, writing right this there. This is my point. It's like he used an oak as a shield. Like, why doesn't he have it today? The prophecy like, is true. He has an oak right, and who, shield. Okay, okay, out now. <laughs> my point is, how does he get the same shield back if it was broken in the battle years ago? At the very final scene, he picks up another branch, another stump, and all of a sudden we have <laughs> yeah. Thorin Oaken shield again. Like, we can't just have a steel <laughs> shield at this point. Like, do we not learn anything? Do we not grow from our past conflicts? <laughs> like, That's a good point. Just, it should be more prepared. That's what really grinds yeah, my gears. I, <laughs> I thought it was sick. <laughs> I'm so sorry that you got so upset about a guy holding on to a branch. Well, if it's Thorin Oaken uh, shield. Anybody else get pissed off about <laughs> Come on. Anything? What really grinds my gears, sorry to jump in, but what really, really grinds my gears is that Gandalf the Grey was wearing grey robes. That's a little bit too on the nose for my taste. That's good. Okay, wait. We didn't talk about Gandalf. We didn't. We we kind of touched on it a little bit, but what did you guys think about seeing Gandalf after we've seen him you know, as Gandalf the White for two movies, and he comes back. I thought he was, Ian McClellan was spectacular in this. Obviously, once again, the tone of the movie was a little bit different, so he acted a little bit different in certain circumstances, but it was great seeing Gandalf, like, interact with The Hobbit. That's why Rings of Power, it's Gandalf. I know it, it's Gandalf. I know it has to be Gandalf. Like watching, talking about things that harken back, he's talking about how the little things in the world give him courage. And I was like, of course that's Gandalf. It has to be. It all started with Nori. Yeah, this, I do like this version of Gandalf because when we get Gandalf in a time in his life where he can be a little bit 
happier, you know, a yeah. little bit more carefree because mm-hmm. uh, Mordor isn't trying to take over the whole world. Right. Um, I really like how he interacts with people and how he has so much faith in the little people. It's I like this version of Gandalf a lot. I agree. Sir Ian McKellen, uh, you can tell, I think, that uh, there is some time mm-hmm. passed between, obviously... The, obviously we know that there's time, but I think on screen you can kind of tell he's a bit older, but the charm is still there. I think he's still, the delivery is, is, is excellent. Every single one of his lines, just because he's older, obviously we, we have a place for elderly people in, in film and TV. I, there's no reason anyone should be ageist when we see performances like Sir Ian McKellen as Gandalf. There's, there's no reason that just because you're elderly doesn't mean you can't give an excellent performance on screen. And I think we see that here. There's, there's nothing lost in this Gandalf performance. We, we see, I, I think it boils down to, what do you think of this scene in the very first kind of opening act where he does yeah, the whole the classic rising line. wizard, powerful wizard, I am not trying to hurt you. Yeah. I'm trying to help you. How do you react to that scene? Did you think it was cool that they... They, they played that just like they did in the trilogy, and I did. And then if you reacted positively to that, if you thought, okay, that's Gandalf, then you're going to like this version mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed Gandalf in this film. I thought he was a lot of fun, and it reminded me of the original character. But, you know, you, you bring up a good point, Chris. He's a little, Sir Ian McKellen, a little bit older, but... His stunt double didn't make didn't make him seem like he had slowed down at all. I mean, oh, true. When he's fighting, he he's so still slinging yeah. swords. His action scenes were spectacular. Yeah, I love seeing him tearing shit up and. Uh, oh yeah, in, I don't know the mines, if you will. I, I don't know what to call what the goblin, the mines, goblin yeah. mountain. I don't. I, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, the goblin. I also, oh, yeah, he, I also loved uh, him. Just using his resources around him, like in the last scene, we he's on the tree and he's turning the acorns, catching them on fire, and then all then then the company starts tossing the acorns. Like I just thought that was kind of fun. There was a lot of like fun mm-hmm. small moments with Gandalf here. Uh, they didn't all have to be like giant like uh, bombastic scenes. Like just his dialogue was. They pulled a lot of the dialogue from the Hobbit and used it in the movie. Like obviously you have the the classic uh lines where he meets Bilbo like for the first time here and he says good morning is it a good morning is it you know like what do you mean by that he's just funny and like it brought a lot of levity and in other ways there was too much levity in the movie but everything that Gandalf brought I thought was appropriate for Lord of the Rings let's talk about that moth though that he uh whispers to that flies at like uh, yeah. 5,000 miles an hour to go to the eagles. <laughs> <laughs> Fly, you fool. Yeah, that thing took off to get to the eagles. Oh it was, God. yeah, Gandalf was great in this movie. I really enjoyed it. Uh, let's bring this episode of the Hobbit Hoopla podcast to a close with some final thoughts on the movie and maybe what you're looking forward to in the next two movies. I know you guys have all seen them already, so it's not like you can make theorizing predictions, but you know, what do you like about this movie? What are you looking forward to as we continue this trilogy? And as we do with every episode of the Hobbit Hoopla podcast, we rate it on the classic scale Ooh. of 1 to 111 cheese hooplas. Pizza. Oh. But this episode <laughs> is going to be on a scale of cheese no, no, to no, pepperoni. No. 111. <laughs> um, Chris, do you have any closing thoughts? Yeah, sure. I'll lead, lead the charge here. I, I, I if we talk about what I'm looking forward to, and again, we've all seen the movies themselves, the, the next two. Uh, uh, 
I, if I remember correctly, and I don't think Spoilers. I'm going to enjoy the next two <laughs> as much as I enjoyed this one. And revisiting this one, I actually enjoyed it much more than I remembered. I, I, I remember finishing and thinking, that was, that was awesome. And, and it, it was awesome. I think it's a good movie experience. I, I, people think that The Hobbit just can't compare to The Lord of the Rings, and I think that's true. I don't think that you can compare them. They're they're just two flavors of this universe. This this kind of carefree journey of the dwarves. The bumbling, fumbling dwarves are going on an adventure. Bilbo's joining them. He's not prepared, but he's gonna go anyways. And I think it's more lighthearted. It's it's less serious, and that's okay. But when you're expecting Lord of the Rings, you just don't get that. So with the rings of power that we've now seen coming out kind of fleshing out some of these more important characters i enjoyed it a lot more and revisiting this after the first time i saw it 10 years ago was really refreshing so i'm gonna give this one a 74 out of 111 hooplas uh i think i I don't think i would have rated it that highly when i first saw it way back when but now that i'm a more mature lord of the rings fan now we have a little bit of a catalog to go off of and there's more content in this universe which I'm just praying and hoping for more. Someone, please make another video game. Give me a book to read. I don't care. Give me something oh, more, more flesh out this universe. Coming out here soon. The new animated yes, we series. do. Please just give me more in this universe because I, I think the more and more we have, the better and more I will appreciate the lightheartedness of this journey. 74 out of 111 for me. Beautiful. I love it. I love the little lighthearted attitude we got going on here yeah. in the Hoopla podcast. Jake, do you have any uh, quick final thoughts? Yeah, um, you know, this is a fun, exciting welcome back to Lord of the Rings fantasy type film. Um, again, it's not gonna it's not gonna match up to the original trilogy. That's just not gonna happen. Right. But um, you know, this was a long awaited journey. Film. <laughs> <laughs> it was unexpectedly In a, long. Unexpectedly <laughs> long film. Um, and honestly, that that docked a few points for me. I think seriously, if they had cut, in, if they had shortened this film, add a little bit of brevity to the plot line, I think it could have done wonders for the Hobbit in in as a whole. Give me um, an extended version. There is one. Is you should the, actually watch that. Is there an unextended version? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyhow, that being said, hoopla. I would give this an eighty-five out of a eleventy-one hooplas, uh, which damn, right, wow. which falls just shy of an eighty uh, on your regular, you know, numeric format. But uh, you know, it's fun. I it, I enjoyed it. I, I you know I enjoyed it more than you know when I watched it the first time when I was younger. Um, but yeah, shorten the film and you get a few numbers up for me. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. Uh, beautiful. Andy, how'd you feel about this unexpected journey? I I love the Hobbit. I, I like the full trilogy. I have, we'll all say it. We're not going to like it as much as Lord of the Rings, but how, how can you get to that point? The original trilogy is one of the greatest like trilogies of in cinematic yeah. history. So like, that's a hard thing to, to uh, come back with, you know, uh, to, to rate up against when it's just a Hobbit book. Like it's, it's not meant to be as tonally dark as, you know, the, the, the Lord of the Rings books. But what I loved about this movie were two real, two things, the Dwarven company and seeing how they interacted mm 
And it was, you know, very bumbling and fumbling, but it was fun. Like it was still right. entertaining. And I, I loved the like Balin and Dwalin and, and Thorin and all, how they all interacted and learning a little bit more about their backstory. And then that coming into Rivendell and seeing the, the White Council, which enhances my viewing experience of Lord of the Rings going forward. And I think that's something that's great that they were able to achieve to make those movies even better than they are. So I, I really appreciated that. Sure. Um, you know, for me, I think, uh, you know, I'll probably stay in the same range, give it an 80 out of 111 hoopla's. Hoopla! Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree pretty much with what everyone is saying. If you write a 200, 300-page book and make it into three movies the same length <laughs> as the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which came from like a thousand pages worth of material... You know, The Hobbit is a completely different thing, just the books themselves. The Hobbit book versus The Lord of the Rings books. The Hobbit's just a simple story. So why are we trying to expand this into nine hours yeah. worth of movie? That's really my whole issue with it. I thought the characters were fun. It was lighthearted and enjoyable, but the story just drags and drags. And well, they didn't have a nice, you know, it's hard to turn a... a short plot into three long plots so not when you do it's easier to really cut stuff there. not when you spend two minutes of screen time per page it's pretty simple <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah. just have the dwarves <laughs> sing and dance a little more and you can extend that movie as long as you want hey but jamie, uh, so yeah. but jamie there was the, there was joy in the movie it, it's at least enjoyable it's not terrible like it, it right yeah yeah like that. i agree it, it was it was very i I enjoyed the movie, but I didn't like the writing. If that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it, it was fun right. to be part of it. It was, it was enjoyable, um, but it just was a, a boring movie if you look at it from a plot standpoint. Uh, but I'll, I'll give it a, a smooth 68 out of 111 hooplas. Sure. Hoopla. Something we didn't talk about, and, and we'll have to get into on the on the next episode when we do move on to the Desolation of Smog is is the background production of this Hobbit trilogy. Andrew, I'm sure, could speak more to it, and I would request that you do speak more to it later on when we talk uh, in this second film and this second podcast review. But the, the Guillermo del Toro was almost the uh, pr producer and director of the entire trilogy and mm -hmm. cut out right before everything was supposed to begin that's there's something lost there and it was going to be two movies it was yeah. almost maybe gonna be one movie they decided to make it two and then they were writing so much mm. i don't know how they turned it into three we'll explore that more when we release our second episode for the desolation of smaug which should be coming soon so make sure to keep up with the hobbit hoopla for all all of that but uh yeah we'll talk about more of that as we get on yeah, and we'll talk about how many millions and millions of dollars they made by making three movies. So honestly, <laughs> great business plan. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we will be back next week talking about the second movie of the Hobbit trilogy, The Desolation of Smaug. Smaug. Cumberbatch is the best dragon that there ever was. That's oh, true. Wow. Oh, Did also, you know Benedict Cumberbatch was listed as the, uh, the necromancer. In this movie as well, oh, which yeah. I did not know. He does play oh, wow. so, Is that just like when we're looking into the darkness? Is that him standing there? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So it's actually uh, Doctor Who. Benedict Cumberbatch is just every bad guy in this trilogy, which is fine because cool. he's great. He's awesome. Yeah. 
so thank you all for tuning in to the Hobbit Hoopla podcast. Tune in again next week for our recap and review of the next Hobbit movie. And in the meantime, follow us on Twitter. Let us know what you guys thought of this movie. If you've watched it recently or if you plan on watching along with us, that'd be fun. Uh, we'll be watching the Lord of the Rings tr trilogy after we finish the Hobbit trilogy. Uh, yeah, so, so come find us on Twitter. Let us know what you think. And tune in next time for the next episode of the Hobbit Hoopla podcast. Hoopla! Hoopla! And as we end every episode of the Hoopla podcast, it is time for the moment of highest hoopla, the quote of the movie. What do you have for us this week, Andy? As Gandalf said, Saruman believes that it is only great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found. I found it is the small things, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. Simple acts of kindness and love. Why Bilbo Baggins? Perhaps it's because I am afraid, and he gives me courage. 